Hey everybody, this week's guest on the podcast is the great David Bottrell. David is a record producer and mixer and he's worked with Silverchair, Peter Gabriel, Tool, King Crimson, Rush, Smashing Pumpkins. David was kind enough to talk to me on my podcast and I really appreciate his time and his knowledge and with everything in these podcasts I learn from the people I talk to. So thank you David and everyone should check out David's work. Go to davidbottrell.com and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hey David, how are you? Hey Paul, I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I climbed a mountain today and I'm a bit, bit tired. <laughs> well, which mountain is that then? It's Queen Maeve. It's not it's not it's not a, an impressively high mountain. So okay. it's it's only an hour. So it's not it's not, it's not too good, but yeah. It, it was good fun. Oh, hell. Yeah, okay, yeah. An Irish hill. <laughs> Irish hill. <laughs> How's the crazy times we're living in treating you? Uh, you know, actually. To be honest with you, it's affected me in more social ways than in professional ways. Okay. Um, work got maybe a little quieter, mm-hmm. but uh, as I work from home, you mm. can see my studio here, uh, I don't actually um, have to go out and and go to studios as much. Yeah. Uh, if I'm recording things, obviously I will I will do that, you know, full band or something like that. But mm. as far as mixing goes, I, I do that all here. So it's really not affected me as much as it's affected other people. Yeah. And kind of nowadays, like you only really need to go to well, for most things is to record drums in a studio. You can kind of track everything at home and you know, once you have a vocal booth and it's pretty much of... I, I don't I can't really track a full-on heavy cabinet guitars. <laughs> right, right, right. That's a little bit much, but you know, okay. sort of simulated cabinet guitars, I can do that. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, if if we want any kind of vocals, you know, I've got spaces around my place where people can go. So, you know, that's fine. Anything sort of mildly acoustic guitars. My mm. place is pretty quiet, even though I'm sort of downtown Toronto. Uh, my the direction I face. And the lack of neighbors makes it such that I can pretty much record anything without too much interruption. Oh, that's cool. And are you like mixing purely in the box or are you hybrid-y kind of thing? Purely in the box? Purely in the box. Wow, man. That's impressive. (laughs) That's so good. I've been doing that for probably the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years. Really? Wow. Jeez, do you find it just it's easier for a call? You know, people want to like say, hey, can you put that vocal up? And you're like, oh, dude, you know, I yeah. imagine back in the day, it must have been so difficult. Yeah. Hours to any, any small adjustment. But here's the difference, Paul. Nowadays, because you can do this, then people do it. Right. I mean, the things that, that you that you can do now with recall and automation and things like that that are so precise that people do those things before we just accepted what we had and, and lived with things that, that, um, you know, were imperfections. And I find that, that it's sort of a, sort of a double-edged sword, really. You get to, to do exactly, exactly what you want. I've often found that the happy accidents and the things that kind of stick out of a mix sometimes become actually my favorite parts and the, the imperfections, kind of become charming after yeah, a while i agree so, you know we, we we spend our lives ironing out every little wrinkle and every every fixing every little problem and i wonder if that's really the wisest thing from from a, just a musical interest standpoint 
Yeah, there's always like those little things in 60s records. If you really listen to them closely, you can hear like bleed of things, you know, and that's what makes those like, you know, Beach Boys records, Pet Sounds and those kind of records. They just sound, they have this sound to them that you can't emulate overdubbing one at a time. And what you, I mean, you can, but it just has a vibe and a sound that it's just, I don't know, it just has there's a vibe. A certain, there's a certain life and sort of studio verite charm to to little mistakes yeah 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 it's it's and you can go on forever like when i when i did my first record i spent five years making it like like yeah. i was crazy you know like you you listen to a snare every day and then you're like oh i could do it this way this way yeah too much choice is sometimes a bad thing for us humans you know, i think I, I find that after a certain amount of time your your changes are not necessarily making things better. They're just making them different. Exactly. You know, we spend our lives chasing a certain thing and then we get bored of it and we start chasing something else. And there comes a point, I think, when you just have to really let go. Yeah, that's probably why mixers are a good idea outside your outside mixing for yourself if you're making something, because you're always going to critique everything worse than anyone else. Uh, yes. You know, inward wise. So it's. Yeah, exactly. You know, so what was it like working with uh, two? Well, they were great. You know, they were um, amazing musicians, uh, great writers and even greater people. So it was a pleasant experience all around. Yeah. You did lateralis, didn't you? And anima. Oh, wow, man. And, and saliva. Oh, that, that was like a live. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we did the cover of uh, No Quarter. Zeppelin's oh, no cool. As well. Oh, that's cool. The latter Alice, I think, sounds amazing. That record, Thank you. it's such yeah. an amazing record. Did like Tool always kind of had that kind of thing? I know they were a rock band or progressive rock, but they always had that kind of thing. Like it was like Pink Floyd and Peter Gabriel, you know, those ethnic kind of sounds. And <laughs> you know, did you did you learn a lot from working with Peter Gabriel? I'm sure with Africany sounds and you know all ethnic I mean, sounds. Them out, yeah. I was exposed to music that I would have. I would have maybe been exposed to uh, in Canada, but not nearly to the degree. Um, I was able to take a really deep dive into learning about music from all over the world. And now I apply those lessons to the music that I'm making today. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Like, did you work on The Passion? Yes. Serious production on that. Yeah. Wow, man. That's cool. Thanks. So do you listen to a lot of like music or... I suppose it's hard. You're probably just listening to demos all the time. Most of the time I'm listening to demos and the work that I'm doing. Yeah, that's the truth. But, uh, you know, I do listen, you know, a lot in the car when I'm driving. around. OK, I, I first um, was a fully aware. I'm sure I heard your stuff many times, but I wasn't aware of it when you did Diorama. I think there's so many people that love that record uh, that at the time, I don't remember anyone listening to, especially in a tiny town like where I was from. I think about three or four people were like, we're like, oh, my God, this record, because everything, the songs are great and the production was great and the Van Dyke Park arrangements are great. And Larry Mahubrick, like everything about that record just was like perfectly fit with each other. If it had a different production technique, you know, it just wouldn't. It just yeah. everything just gelled for that record. Yeah, I was really disappointed as to how. Uh, that record was uh, treated mm. from a, a marketing standpoint. You know, I think I think the label at the time didn't really understand 
the kind of record that they had and they were their expectations on Daniel was and the band were were different than, than mm-hmm. what was delivered even even though we had lots of discussions and meetings beforehand about the kind of record that we were going to make and you know there was from from my standpoint there really wasn't any confusion as to what we were planning to deliver to them and i think they sort of i guess discounted what that was and thought well at the at the end of the day he'll probably write us a couple of big you know radio rock hits and we'll be fine right but you know, i knew at the at the outset of that record that what daniel wanted to do was indeed make his pet sounds and um you know i said that to the label and and the manager knew that that was what was going to happen so uh I, I was sort of disappointed in the way that that it was it was released and promoted after we delivered that record because, like you, I I get a lot of people coming up to me and saying how important they felt that record was to them, how, yeah. how it meant to them, and how great they thought it was. And I just thought, you know, if if you'd have marketed that that like they marketed OK Computer, and I'm not equating the two albums, but you know they're both esoteric in their own way, and I think if you had, uh, if the people who were working that record had had done it in that way, it could have been more successful than it was because it kind of fell through the cracks. And I always felt like I remember when that record came out first. It was like that record came out, and at the same time, I started to get into Pet Sounds. So those two kind of records were like melding together for me. Not not they don't sound the same, but they have that you know that ambition in them. And I could never yeah. understand some of the reviews I read on Diorama, like over here anyways, that would be slating and give these, t- I'm like, what? I'm like, did you listen to the same record? It was like, it wasn't fashionable to be doing that kind of ambitious stuff at the time. You know, like a lot of new metal was around and that could have hurt them too, I guess, in that perspective. Maybe, you know, I, I don't really, you know, I, obviously I will read reviews every now and again, um, but I think, as you said, the, they're often based upon the, the sort of style and fashion at the time and yeah. not judging them on the, just the, the nature of the music and the productions and, the, you know, of what's going on. Are they good songs? Are they, you know, are they good songs? Or are they not good songs? Do they sound good? Are they mm. produced well? You know, yeah. like, as far as critiques, like, well, you know, I don't like this record because it's not my style. Well, okay, you might not, but... You know, maybe you're not the right person to be reviewing this record. Yeah. <laughs> like you can say it's like, well, it's poorly played. The, the musicians weren't very good, or the 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 the, the songwriting is not that good, or the singing was not that good. I mean, I don't think you could level those criticisms at that record. The musicianship is top notch. You know, the singing is great. The songwriting is good. It's it's esoteric. It's different. Mm-hmm. But that's just a stylistic difference, and that that's a very subjective thing. So, okay. Subjectively, you didn't like it because it's not to your taste. Fair enough. Um, that's the critique you can give of something that you don't like. Yeah. You know? I, I, but you know, you know that criticism. It's it's never that simple as you know. People are always like, "I don't like it." Ergo, it's not good. I actually remember the there was a diorama documentary and there was this American A&R guy at the time. And he was like, yeah, maybe take out the horns. I'm like, take out the horns. That's the cool part, man. I think it was in Love Your Life or something like, it was on about the do, 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 do part. Or maybe it was the greatest view. But anyways, I was like, what is this guy smoking? But, you know. 
That was Kevin. I think. Okay. Okay. Is yeah. he still? Is he yeah, still he, working he, there? He was one of the two. One of the two. We had two A and R guys on that record. And as I said, I mean, they're good guys. They're they're you know good record company people. But I think they had an expectation mm. of what kind of record they were going to get, mm. and it, what we delivered to them wasn't what they were expecting. You mixed Young Modern too, didn't you? Yes, I mixed Young Modern. Yeah, good. It's a it's a good record. It's a, I lo- I like that record. But it's something missing in it. I don't know. Well, I like that record too. I think the 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 nature of what happened with that record was essentially there were three strong personalities producing that project. And it was kind of pushed and pulled in a lot of different directions. And they brought me in at the very end to mix it uh, and to help sort of edit down because there was so much going on on that that uh, they'd already kind of taken out. Um, because lots of different people were p- recording lots of different things on these songs and they were becoming a bit of a mishmash of, of you know, neither fish nor flesh or whatever you want. To <laughs> right, right, um, right. And so I came in at the end to try and you know, take it over the finish line. I think it's a very good record. The songs are really good. It, it just suffers maybe a little bit from, from a confused direction just because yeah. of, of the three st- different personalities pulling it in three different directions. And Diorama is just so good. I think it can be hard to follow a record that's so good because your expectations are always going to be massively higher when something's like that good. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, it had been quite a while between those two records and, you know, Daniel had been quite sick during all of that time. He had the arthritis, reactive arthritis and, you know, couldn't get out of bed for a long time. So, you know, I mean, I really credit his his wife at the time who really kind of nursed him back to health and sort of put her own career on hold. So I thought that was really kind of honorable and and, and good of her. You know, she, that she was that Australian singer, Natalie Imbruglia. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. his wife at the time. And so her career was doing really well and she just sort of stopped and nursed him through his illness. Oh, wow. Pretty amazing oh. if you think about it. So she's got to find me a woman like that. <laughs> They're hard to come by. R and D. So did you did you start working with um, Daniel Lenoir? Yeah, that's Daniel Lenoir. That was the my first um, musical boss. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, he had a studio. He and his brother Bob had a studio in Hamilton called Grant Avenue Studios. It's still there. Uh, they don't own it anymore. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I went there as a green young kid, not knowing anything about studio world, and you know, asked for a job, and they said no, but I, I could come and hang out, and so I would come and hang out, and essentially do a a voluntary internship there for okay. about six or seven months, and then when there was a job, you know, available, they hired me for three hundred dollars a month, and you know, I did sessions at night, and I did, you know, I'm sorry, I did sessions in in the daytime and sometimes at night, and then odd jobs in the daytime to you know cleaning windows or cutting grass or anything that I could make a bit of money so I could go into the studio and play around. Oh, cool. Wow. I'd say it's such a different way of recording and everything back then. Everything's probably more intense and, you know, people probably sleeping at the studio and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was me. Wow. I was sleeping at the studio. Uh, really? Yeah, sure. That's cool, man. I kind of wish I grew up younger in a different time because, you know, like it's kind of, we've kind of, my generation's missed that kind of vibe of it. Yeah. Well, but you've got a different thing, right? The the, the ability to have really top quality you know, recording systems at home, right? Which we never had. Anything that re- you recorded, you had to go to a studio to do it. 
right? Yeah. Yeah, it's always one thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, leverage is that. Like, I couldn't even dream of having this stuff 15 years ago. Or, you know, what you can do in a room is astonishing. Like, you know, it's 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 quite amazing, you know. Um, you work with King Crimson. Yes, I did. On just on yep. one record or two I records? I did two projects with them. Uh, wow. Basically, the precursor to Thrak and Thrak. So Vroom was the first sort of, um, it was an album length. They call it the EP, but it was more like an album length that we recorded in uh, upstate New York. And then and then we did Thrak at Real World Studios, where we covered a lot of some of the same material and, and redid it there. Is that because you worked with Fripp and David Sullivan? Sylvian. Sylvian. Yeah. Damn, I always say his name wrong. Yep. <laughs> cool. What was it like working with Fripp? Oh, he's great. Yeah, amazing musician. Um, uh, he's one of those people that has such a great discipline in what he does. He sort of practices probably now still two, three, four hours a day. Um, really? He, wow. his, his ability sort of transcends the mechanics of playing to the point where he now just his hands do what his brain wants him to do without or what his heart wants him to do without it kind of getting through to the brain. So it's okay, like a, yeah. he's, he's sort of become that virtuoso. I've seen some videos online with his wife doing these crazy, like over quarantine. I just happened to, you know, YouTube, yeah. you go down these, I'm like, is that Robert Fripp with his wife? Like, this is crazy. You know, do you know who his wife is? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Toya. Ray Wilcox. Tiger Wilcox, who, yeah, yeah, who was yeah, kind yeah. of a pop star in the nineties. Yeah, she yeah. was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I never knew they were married, and I was just going through TV one day, and this really crappy show, like married, famous people on a quiz show, and I was like, "Is that Robert Fripp?" I was like, "Huh?" I couldn't believe they were married. I was like, "Okay, that's yeah, that's yeah." Hey, who knows? <laughs> He's very sweet. They're very sweet people. Yeah, they seem like just so cute together, the yeah. two of them. <laughs> that's cool. So you like um. Are you working on a lot of projects? Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm working again. Uh, I finished an album with this girl uh, named Danielle Schwab, and she is called Delanila. Her her artistry, but she's also a string arranger and string um, composer. So we're we're working on a project now. That's her her string more string side. I'm mixing that for her. Uh, I'm working with a French Canadian artist named Elsien. Uh, more atmospheric music, uh, a Toronto kind of progressive metal band called uh, Imperial Ashes, working with them. You're flat out. Yeah, yeah, I'm busy as hell. Which, wow. Have you have you ever got to Ireland? Did you ever do oh, any yeah. projects in Ireland? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah I've, been, oh, cool. I've been to Dublin a few times. Uh, I've been to the West Coast. The West Coast is fantastic. Galway. Oh, that's where I'm from. You're, you're, are you from Galway? Yeah, I'm Sligo. It's like near, near, near Galway. Okay. Galway's cool. Yeah. It's a, student, it's a student town, Galway, more more so. Pretty much so. Yeah, pretty much so. Blood but Galway. it's cool. I'm not, not sure that I've been to Sligo, but I've been I've been right to the coast, right? And sort of stayed on the coast for a bit. That was beautiful. And I worked on Planet as well, a little bit. I didn't get to Donegal, but uh, yeah, I did, I did a couple of songs, just mixed a couple of songs for Planet. Oh, cool. Because you can do this thing now where you go to the top of Donegal and to the bottom of Ireland. It's called the Wild Atlantic Way. And you go through all these like weird nooks and crannies around Ireland. It's right. I did it a few years ago. It's really Beautiful. cool. Like, Beautiful. yeah, it's, re it's really, um, it's really interesting. 
But I've been to yeah, I've been to Ireland a few times. I've 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 chased a couple of girls over there. Oh, have you <laughs> so, Irish Irish girls? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I've got, I've got the dyed red hair for myself. <laughs> <laughs> But too too ginger now, you know. Too ginger. I need to I need to get this hair hair color removed. I'm starting to look too ginger. <laughs> well, you got hair, so be thankful for it. Uh, you know, you know. But um, did you live in London? You lived in England for years. Bath was it? Twenty years. Wow. Yeah, I started in Bath. That was when I was working for Peter Gabriel, mm. uh, and then uh, about uh, eleven years there, and then nine years in uh, in London. Oh, cool. So when did you move back to Toronto? Back to Toronto in 2005. Oh. I was in New York oh. before that for, for about a year, year and a half. Oh, cool. Cool. Did you, did you miss like traveling around the world or? Um, uh, I've done a lot of traveling around the world, so uh, I don't think I need to do a whole lot more, but I like traveling. I'll tell you what, I like being other places. The process of getting there is inconvenient. Oh, I'm with you, brother. Airports. Oh, yeah. Being in other places is great. Yeah, once they get that Star Trek thing sorted out where they can beam you places, that's <laughs> that'll be well handy, you know? <laughs> oh, what was it like working with Rush? You worked with Rush. Oh, great. Really great. Yeah, we did uh, a couple things. Uh, I remixed an album for them and then did uh, a 5.1 movie for them. It was, it was great. Were you originally supposed to produce vapor trails that was the idea at one point we had meetings and i spent a little bit of time in the studio with them but uh, it was an interesting time because neil had just gotten back from his long road trip after the death of his wife and his daughter yeah um, and was kind of learning to play again and learning to write again and they were going to be doing that album for about a year and uh I was sort of busy with lots of things, so I really couldn't commit an entire year to doing this one project. So uh, we sort of didn't end up doing that. But then ironically, later on, they got me to remix it anyway. So. Yeah, because I remember at the time when that came out, there was a bit of a loudness wars thing going on. Exactly. Yeah, I guess exactly. I, it was probably the fans that got that push to be remixed. I'd say more than the band. No, I think there was a lot of fan pressure to have done but i think the band as well were um kind of in retrospect not as happy with the way that the mixes turned out and, and it's not anything uh, against the people that were working on it at the time it was the style of the time mm. that's what everybody was trying to make it louder 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 and super limited and and you know they just got caught up in that everybody got caught up in that process and so uh you know, we just tr tr tried to bring a little bit more dynamic back into it. How do you find it with the loudness wars with regard to Spotify? Because, you know, they have the luffs meter now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try to uh, send, you know, if if I speak to the mastering engineer and they think that it needs to be a lower level, then they'll do that. But uh, I've not found things that I've done on Spotify suffering from, from what I've been doing or what the mastering engineer has been doing. I've noticed certain songs that have a more kind of that, you know, new mixes seem to be a bit more like mid, low midi kind of sound. And now like Billie Eilish and that kind of stuff, those songs seem to stick out more on Spotify. I don't know if it's because the algorithm, the way it it uh, identifies the frequencies or something, but. 
Maybe, but I would say that if you're not, if you haven't got a lot of upper mid energy mm. in there and a lot of peak transients in there, you can probably get an overall louder volume on things because it's less less peak transients. And her voice is quite round. Yeah, uh, yeah. The kind of production they do is quite a it's quite a soft and round production. There's not a lot of aggressiveness to it, and so you you're able to just get an overall louder louder volume out of everything. Well, that's what's great. What I love about your mixes is like they're very like three D. They have a very like three D kind of sound to them. Oh, thanks. Well, I think they do, anyways. So. I, try, I try to do that as much as I do. Is that just like you spend a lot of time carving, or is it just yeah. a technique you build up? Yeah, I I spend a lot of time trying to fit things together. Mm. You know, mix like a puzzle for me, right? And, and and carving out frequencies and and dynamic and pushing things back into the back of the speakers and bringing them forwards, that kind of thing. Because I I always see these kind of mixed things online, and it's always like cut this frequency. Kind of, but that it doesn't work for every song. You can't just say cut three hundred hertz on a kick drum, no. and then everyone just does this. And at the start, you know, when you start when I when I started mixing, it was so hard. It's so hard to not solo things. Cause yeah, just it's, but but you probably didn't grow up in that kind of environment. You probably grew up just mixing purely just everything on a, on a. No, yeah. I solo things. Oh, do you? Yeah, I solo, I solo things to make to to focus on what they are and see what's going on. Then I put it into the mix, and then I take solo and then take it out and you know yeah find a position for it, find a frequency for it, and see how it relates. And and then you know like I like to get something sort of in general of of what I think is going to be right, and then related into the mix i mean look i've been doing this for long enough the the stuff that that comes to me i can solo things and eq something knowing what it's going to be like in the rest of the mix that's just cool. because i've been doing it for a long time that's cool yeah it's it, it, it do you think it's an advantage uh growing up the way you mixed as opposed to we say um, now uh i don't know i think it's just just the amount of time and experience of doing something you mm. know the, coming up these days you know, do I want to mix like people mix things for, for pop radio now? I don't know. Uh, I hear it. Um, unfortunately, I think for me, the things that I hear a lot of the time are, uh, it's not so much the, the, the mixing of things, it's the, the way that things are produced in a sort of loop style fashion. So, yeah. you know, programs like, you know, um, Ableton and, and you know, things that are, are, we're sort of designed for a certain thing and are being used to, to make, to write songs with. Mm -hmm. And, and it's great, you know, to get ideas and be able to repeat them. But I find that people lean on that and they overly repeat things. And yeah. so it becomes quite repetitive. And, yeah. and once you've heard the sort of first minute and a half, that's the whole thing. And so it feels like, you know, more, it's more in sort of the production in that way that, that I think is challenging for me. Yeah. Like it's always got those trap hi-hats. Every sound sounds the same. It's like, it's, it's quite, there's no, re and you know, all the chords are essentially that same derivative chord, mm -hmm. four chords. It's quite weird. Mm -hmm. You hear one song mm -hmm. and you're like, huh? It's like, I know uh, you could always kind of go all oh, commercial music, whatever, but I always find like, you'll always find some sort of gem, but nowadays it's very hard because everything sounds so similar. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's quite, it's opposed to like years ago. I know it's everyone bangs on about, hey, it was better in my day, <laughs> but. Well, I think, I think that the, the reality is every era has, you know, a few innovators mm -hmm. and a lot of, a lot of, uh, 
people who are derivative of that. Mm -hmm. And everybody seems to be chasing, you know, last week's successful fish. So, you know, you, it's like everybody, you know, a lot of people, you hear Billie Eilish, she did really well. She was pretty unique compared to everybody else at the time. Now everybody's trying to be like Billie Eilish and, you know, and it's, 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 predictable i've seen it happen time and time again you know I've, I've gotten i've been doing i was working on a mixing project a while ago and it was that very thing it's like the, the way they were saying things were just basically saying can you make it sound more like billy eilish <laughs> well yeah i could i suppose but then you'd be just being a pastiche of that exactly. and so anyway. yeah she has her own kind of sound which is unique to her which is she's right i, I actually like her music i think it's quite interesting yeah, I, I'm not banging on her. Yeah. I think she's great. What I'm what I'm what I'm complaining about, oh, okay. I guess, is, is people trying to chase chase something that, that because it's successful, trying to recreate that. And you know, the, the most successful musicians, in my opinion, have been the ones that have stood out because they're unique. And you know, if the songwriting is good and you approach it in a unique way, that's as likely to be more successful than than copying somebody else's style. Yeah. What what's the favorite your favorite work record you've worked on? No, that's a hard question right there. That's a really hard question. Um I think the passion is certainly one of them for sure. That soundtrack album is is really something very special. Um all the work I did with Peter Gabriel in fact was was a real a great education and sort of defining in the way that I work. Um, the tool things were great to work on, but there were other records that sort of fell through the cracks that, that didn't like Diorama and like that Remy Zero album that I made for, for that band. Um, band called Remy Zero and the album's called Villa Elaine. They were like a kind yeah. of trip, uh, kind of chilly kind of out band, weren't they? Um, well, they did a few albums. Some were more sort of commercially oriented than... I'm thinking Zero Seven, sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking it's going to be No, um, Remy Zero. The album's called Villa Elaine. You should check it out. It's quite, it's quite a good record. Okay. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Some records that are really great records and you're like, this is going to be... And then it just, you know... Yeah, wow, well, man. Um, and working on that Sylvie Fripp record, I got to go down and, and spend time in New Orleans. Oh, wow. At Dance Studio in New Orleans, and that was great. Wow. I did. A, I actually did a Devlin's record down there, too. Oh, did you? Yeah, I worked with uh, Malcolm Byrne was producing, and I was engineering and mixing it um, for uh, yeah, the Devlin's, Colin and Peter Devlin. Do you, do you know those guys? I, I know the Devlin's, yeah, but I don't know them. them. Yeah. I don't know those yeah. personally. <laughs> you did like Muse, didn't you? Origin of Symmetry too. You did Origin of Symmetry, yeah. It was a fantastic record. Wow, man. Yeah, that's a great one. You've done some savage stuff. Thank you. Wow. So do, do you like, um, do you read a lot of books or do you have time to read anything? Uh, or? I, I read, I'm reading two things that are kind of dear to my heart at the moment. Um, okay. I'm reading my grandfather's memoirs. Oh, wow. Uh, that he wrote. He, he fought in two world wars wow. and uh, died when I was eight years old. But he wrote down all of his all his memoirs. I'm in, in the process of reading that. And I'm in the process of reading a book by a very good friend of mine uh, detailing how her uh, her experience with her husband's uh, early onset dementia. Oh, geez, that's so it's a very, very heartfelt book. So those are the two things I'm reading at the moment. Wow. Actually, I'm reading three things. It's <laughs> a, a, a Michio Keku a book about the mind. Oh, I'm always reading books about the mind, man. <laughs> We've always got weird minds. The mind is a bit on the fence. But um, 
actually my my piano teacher he was really old he fought in world war ii and when um i used to get bored of playing piano sometimes you know i'd be like oh tell me you know world war ii story and he'd take tell out take out the medals and tell me all these stories and these crazy right. stories and you know it kind of it's it affected him in a bad way you know like he'd still have like he ptsd but you know when i was a kid it wasn't really a well-known kind of thing ptsd he'd be like ah you're just a bit whatever and he'd like he'd you know, he'd get flashbacks sometimes. Put on the pub, talk with your friends. Yeah, drink that whiskey yeah. down till dull the pain, you know. <laughs> but anyways, I'm sure I've taken up enough of your time, man. Yeah, I've got to get back to work here on my All mix. right. Well, I really appreciate this, David. Thanks. My Thank problem, you so much pleasure. for your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I'll... I'll uh, I'll uh, link it up on Instagram and all that kind of stuff when it's okay, probably great. up in about a week or two or something like that. Send me, send me the links and I can uh, help you out. Oh, cool, man. Uh, Thanks so much for this. I really appreciate it so much. Have a great day. Take Cheers, brother. Bye-bye. See you. Bye.